0: I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip Till Farmer Podcast Series supported by AgriSolutions. In today's program, we hear from a high-yielding strip tiller on what it takes to put your operation in a position to make the most of your systematic investment and add bushels to your bins. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, soundcloud stitcher radio tune in radio and spotify and a reminder that by subscribing you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released thanks again to agrisolutions Solutions is the market leader in wearable parts components accessories and solutions for tillage seeding planting fertilizing hardware and inventory management solutions Improve performance and durability with a wide range of infield solutions to advance your strip-till system. To learn more about Solutions and their three main brands, Belota, Ingersoll, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Well, there's no secret formula for consistently harvesting 300-plus bushel corn, especially in southwest Kansas, where extreme levels of stress are the norm. It takes a combination of experience, innovation, opportunity, and timeliness. Montezuma, Kansas strip-tiller Josh Cohn doesn't claim to have perfected the process for high-yielding corn, but meticulous plot work, attention to detail, and willingness to learn from mistakes on his 10,000-acre operation have routinely kept him among the top-yielding farmers in the country. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, supported by Solutions, Josh shares his approach to consistently achieving high-yielding corn, using strip-till to deal with adverse conditions in a growing season, choosing the right fertility program, developing a full-season farm management plan, and setting attainable yield goals for your farm.
1: Who I am, I'm 38 years old from a small town in southwest Kansas called Montezuma. Some of you may have heard it, most of you probably have no idea where it's at. It's about 30 miles southwest of Dodge City, out in the middle of nowhere. The reason why you may have heard of it, if you've ever seen the Montezuma Toolbox brand or the Wedge Style Toolbox, uh, those were originally designed and built in my hometown. Uh, a lot of farmers use them. Like everything else, they've been shipped to China to be built. They're no longer built in money. I have a uh, lovely girlfriend, Katie. We have two golden retrievers. She's an English teacher. So everything is spelled and is grammatically correct in my presentation. <clears throat> She's also probably taking notes and to, to critique me later on the way home. But, um, so a third generation farmer, uh, both my grandpa, or my grandpa and my dad did farm. They were never very large farmers. They were always small. We did not grow until I took over. Part of the reason why I chose the title Success Through Adversity, something I don't talk about a lot. Adversity faces you in in a lot of different ways. I was born with albinism. It's not something I like to talk about, but it is a part of my life. So I was immediately given adversity to deal with um, from the very get-go. And God decided to, uh, to test my fortitude and made me a farmer in Southwest Kansas. So I began farming in 2002. Uh, like I said, my grandpa and dad did farm, and most people think that because I farmed 10,000 acres that I inherited something. I did not. Southwest Kansas is well known for drought, and dad, when he farmed, was struggling going backwards, going broke. And so I went to college, got my BS in two and a half years, moved back, and he said, I'm done. I want to quit. And he couldn't give me anything uh there was no um inheritance as far as that goes so i took out a beating farmer loan borrowed every penny i could borrow and i started farming the only thing he could ever give me was access to a tractor and an old dr drill to drill my first wheat crop, and which i have paid him back for since then at that time he basically turned over all his land to me which was all rented which was 18 about 1800 acres that time we were all dry land except for one quarter of irrigated. Since then, uh, we've grown substantially. Grandpa and dad were still in the old school mindset of full tillage. Everything should be full till, plan it, and uh, see how it goes, and that was not working. Southwest Kansas is a harsh environment, and as time has went on, people have found that full tillage is no longer the answer. Um, We have to conserve everything we can conserve. So when I took over, I immediately made changes. We went directly into no-till and that's part of the reason why we've been successful and and have been able to grow to where we are. Uh, It showed um, a lot of landlords that we we had a different idea and we could improve our yields and and, um, help their bottom line as, as well as ours. So obviously I deal with 16 different landlords. I only own Three quarters of ground myself. When you start from nothing, you don't buying land is is difficult. So, it, and it's it's even tougher when you're competing against other one other families who have a lot of uh, you know financial backing. So I've had to deal with with that and and in order to grow, the only way to grow is to take on land from landlords. Um, currently, we only have two full time employees and myself. That seems like not very much for 10,000 acres, but I work a lot. Uh, we do have multiple seasonal help during harvest, obviously, for trucks and everything else. So what we do, we have both irrigated and dryland crops. crops. Uh, irrigated corn, soybeans, wheat, and sorghum. Um, last year was the first year I've ever grown soybeans. We don't grow a lot of beans out in our area because of pH. We struggle with, with high pH. Dryland, We do wheat, corn, and sorghum. My farm currently is about 30% irrigated, 70% dry land. Uh, all of our irrigation is from groundwater coming out of the Ogallala Aquifer through center pivots. There are a handful of guys that still do furrow irrigation, but that is going away quickly as our water is depleting. Um, it's also a very inefficient way to irrigate. Um, a lot of people ask how, how it works in Kansas. We're allotted typically about two acre feet, which means about 24 inches of water per acre. Uh, seems like a lot, um, but in our environment, it can go away very quickly. So it, we, we really require that much water to grow full irrigated corn. And now the last few years, we've been lucky enough to catch a lot of rains. We've had about half, or used about half of our allotment uh, compared to normal. Uh, dry land farming, we do, uh, Primarily it's wheat and sorghum, or wheat and milo. I do grow a considerable amount of dryland corn. Dryland corn for us usually means about half the population of irrigated, so um, irrigated we're dropping anywhere from 26 to 36. Um, Dryland is usually gonna fall about half of that, around 16. Some guys will drop as low as 12, um, but 12 to 18 would catch most of our dryland corn. So what makes uh, where I farm the most unique is our weather. It's very adverse, has multiple personalities. We have very wide ranging temperatures. This winter we saw temps as low as negative 30. When I left home on Wednesday, we were 105 with obviously a lot of wind. And wind is what the major contributing part of what makes Southwest Kansas difficult to farm in. It doesn't seem like it would, but when you couple our high winds with low humidities, it depletes our moisture rapidly. This, our our average rainfall in uh, southwest Kansas is around 18 inches where I live. No, that is not a typo in 2011. That is accurate. From the, the fall of 2010 to the spring of 2012, I had four and a half inches of rain at my farm. Most of that rain came in about 10 or 20 hundred sprinkles, when it was 100 degrees. That year, nothing survived. Even irrigation struggled. We yielded about half of what we would normally yield on irrigation during 2011. You can also see we've had years like 2015, three times our normal rainfall, which is highly unusual. It's, it's quite impressive and awesome when it happens, but it's unusual. It has also, the last, since 2015 till now, we've had some incredible crops, which has made farming a lot of fun, for us anyway. So currently we're running a 12 row Orthman bar with a Montag cart. A Few years back, I switched completely away from anhydrous. Uh, we're going all dry. For now, we're only using uh, our, our N and P, nitrogen floss, in our dry. In Southwest Kansas, we don't have to put in K. We, uh, we have extremely high levels of K on our ground naturally. Um, usually running the uh, six to 800 parts per million. Normally we'll do both fall and spring strip till, kind of depends on what our conditions are. Uh, typically in the fall, we'll run probably eight, nine inches deep if, if conditions are correct. Uh, in the spring, we'll usually shallow up around about six inches. And then, depending on how close we are to planting, we will reduce rates in the spring. Normally, we'd be running probably 250 pounds or better of in uh, with our strip till. But like in 2019, we were we were way too wet in the fall of 18, so I didn't like how things looked. So I waited till spring. Um, we got really wet, got pushed back, um, couldn't get in when we wanted to. We ended up having to drop our rates down to 200 to one. 50 on our end by the time we could get in when i uh when i started stripping we put on around 200 by the time we finished we're down to 150. um the we had originally planned we only strip till on irrigated ground uh, dry land we've tried it um, we can't afford to lose any of that residue by stripping on the dry land We had originally planned to do about 80% of the acres this spring of strip-till on irrigated. The way it worked out, because they're so wet, we only
0: got about 30% done. We had to move on to plan B. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Solutions, for making this podcast possible. Improve performance and durability with a wide range of infield solutions to advance your strip-till system. To learn more about Agri Solutions and their three main brands, Belota, Ingersoll, and Trinity Logistics, visit agrisolutionscorp.com. Well, Josh noted that he had moved away from application of anhydrous ammonia despite it being an inexpensive source of nitrogen. With his switch to strip-till, he decided to substitute the product with manure and urea, primarily to build a better soil profile and structure. While Josh says he doesn't correlate a yield increase with the change, he feels like it's treating his soils better, seeing a lot more earthworm and nightcrawler activity, better infiltration and soil moisture rates. On his irrigated acres, he variable rate bans urea, approximately 200 to 275 pounds per acre, with his strip-till rig and dry fertilizer cart. For the balance of the nutrients, he leans heavily on his 20 ton per acre cow manure application every 3 to 4 years. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Josh Cohn on the virtues and value of being a patient strip tiller. My recommendations
1: on when not to strip till. Most people want to go anytime. You don't want to strip till when it's too wet. It's it's a bad decision. It will cause nothing but problems. Uh, I watched plenty of my neighbors this, this last fall do it and every one of them had issues this spring. So what usually happens when it's too wet is you you smear that slice open and you create a void. And then for us, it wants to usually bake and dry, and then they, they don't have time to mellow up. And then what, usually what happens is, you, if you go in and try to plant in that, you drop seed that deep in the ground, which doesn't work. Corn doesn't come up from six inches deep. So I, I try to preach to be patient, and it's difficult. No different than guys with planters. They don't. They watch the neighbor pull off the yard and go to the field. They got go to go too, and that's the most. Just like I say, uh, super high levels of residue become a problem. You're going to watch your neighbor uh, out there ripping or discing their ground across the road and in a full tillage program, and you're going to be mad because you're sitting on the yard not doing anything because it's too wet. Well, what you have to realize is that. They're making three, four, five passes across their ground, and you're making one. So you have to be willing to sit and watch them work and be patient till things are ready for you and your ground. It's a struggle for everybody. I mean, it was even for me this year. I had to go do things I didn't want to do because we, we, we just couldn't get into strip till like I wanted. The only, way, the only way to fix the problems this year, I had to go in and VT a lot of ground prior to. Um, and just abandon strip till because I just couldn't make it work. The other issue on strip till will be um, it doesn't work day day and night, round the clock. If you got high residue conditions, you're gonna you're gonna struggle with it in uh, in dampness. So obviously, what benefits we've seen from strip till and why we're strip tilling, we're increasing our root mass by uh, eliminating compaction and. Uh, hopefully developing better soils, which is a main reason why I went away from anhydrous, trying to develop better soils and went to a dry fertilizer or liquid, just like uh, Mr. Gibbs was talking about yesterday, developing rootworms, nightcrawlers. We're trying to improve our water infiltration rates, which in turn should help our root mass. Obviously we're trying to shoot for high yields as well. So strip till is not, 100% 100% the answer. If you're just looking to increase yield, do you think by buying a strip-till bar you're gonna do it? It's not gonna that's not the only thing that's gonna help you. I'm not saying it's gonna hurt you either and it's something to try for sure, but it's not for us It wasn't uh, the silver bullet. It, it's it's helped us in a lot of other ways But it wasn't the answer just to automatically increase our yield. Some years you will see a, a great benefit from it. In other years when it's wet the conventional till will be just as effective as long as you don't have high compaction and in our fertility program i also do a lot of uh, manure Um, so every three to four years we're spreading cow manure dry Um, and when we do that we have found that we like to incorporate so typically we vt it in and then strip till behind that I don't, for us out in our area, we're so dry, get so little winter moisture that I've felt it necessary to incorporate our manure rather than let it sit on top. Also, because of the lack of winter moisture that we typically typically get, we don't get a lot of residue breakdown. So continuous strip-till on strip-till on strip-till, year after year, we can't get rid of residue fast enough. And we tend to run into issues with a lot of extra disease pressure as well as uh, just too much residue to get through. So, we like to throw that manure uh, application in there and then, and then have to use a, a VT or something to break some of that down, get that, some of that residue incorporated in the ground. Uh, everybody wants to talk about high yield and NCGA stuff. The first thing I'll tell everybody is uh, don't compare yourself to me, don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Uh, or anybody else in your state, for that matter. Um, all it's going to do is, is drive you nuts. It's going to make you wonder, well, what the hell am I doing wrong? Uh, or, or don't look at the the high yield guys either, and and wonder why can't I do that? That's that's the first thing I had to realize when I started watching some guys that were hitting four hundred and five hundred, and I'm wondering why we can't do that. And and the real reason is is that. We have a lot of factors that they don't have, uh, especially in Southwest Kansas. You know, when that when that seed leaves the bag, it has 500 bushel yield potential, maybe even more. But every day, something takes something away from it, and we just have more days that take away yield than they do. My my suggestion is is always to set attainable goals for your farm. Um, everybody here has a different piece of ground; none of them are the same. So you got to understand. You know what's attainable on your ground and on your farm not what's my neighbor doing and why am i not growing what he's growing because i've got neighbors that can beat me i mean we do well but some years they caught an extra quarter inch of rain that i didn't you know they planted it on the right day and i didn't there's a lot of factors that go into that and then lastly there's not one thing that i do on my farm that is for an NCGA, ncga plot everything we do is either all or nothing i don't do i don't do 20 or 25 acre plots all that does is teach you how to grow high yielding corn to get a trophy i don't do anything less than half a pivot or 60 acres if i'm going to try something because if I, it doesn't do if it doesn't teach me how to grow better corn on the whole farm then there was no point in it because the object is, is to be more profitable long term and just because you can grow 400 bushel corn on a 25-acre block, but you lost money on it, what did it teach you? And what did it do for you long-term? If it's not going to make you more money or improve your farm average, then I see no point in it. So everything we do is for the gain of the whole farm. I don't, I don't like doing... I do a lot of test plot stuff, but... I want to know if it's going to help my yields overall. My tips and advice are: uh, first of all, patience, especially with strip till um, and the planter. Uh, that that comes tongue in cheek because obviously, 2019, <laughs> you couldn't hardly stand to be patient because you had to be, you had to be patient too long. But it's, it's it is important um, to do the best job to increase your yields. You have to be patient. You can't. Go ram corn in the ground, to uh, just to get it in the ground, which we had to this year. I did it just the same. Um, but if you wanna grow high yielding corn, you have to plant it when conditions are right, you gotta strip it when conditions are right. There's a lot of things that go into to increasing high yields. Um, develop a good nutrient program. Uh, that is a, that's a key to increasing yields. You've gotta understand how your nutrients are Held, how how they're taken up on your ground, and, you know what what you need, what your ground is, is asking for, and what's going to help that crop. Um, uh, pay attention to detail. That comes with a planner for me. Uh, attention to detail comes with uh, doing a good job at planting season. Um, even even spacing, even planting depths. Um, uh, Even emergence. That's where your biggest yield increases will come from, is even emergence. And then uh, be willing to try new things. Right now, this year on my farm, we have 20 different hybrids, corn hybrids. Uh, In hindsight, that was probably a mistake on a year that was going to be as uh, stressful as this one, but uh, uh, we are trying something new every year. Besides the 20 different hybrids we have, we have about six or eight different trials between biologicals, uh, nitrogen uptake products, um, uh, some other fertilizers, stuff like that. So we're always trying new things to look for ways to improve
0: yields. Well, thank you, Josh, for sharing some advice and insight into how strip-tillers can put their operation in a position to capitalize on yield potential. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, Solutions, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262 262- Seven 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 two four four one. 2441 You can also keep up on the latest strip till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip till strategies daily e-newsletter and be sure to follow us on twitter at strip till f-a-r-m-r and our strip till farmer facebook page well i hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series for Josh Cohn, Agro Solutions, and our entire staff here at Strip Till Farmer, I'm Jackson Licka. Thanks for listening.